What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Smoking Guns Podcast, the show that reviews cigars while discussing a variety of issues from a perspective based on my life experiences, similar to what you will find here throughout cigar lounges, hookah lounges throughout the country. I'm your host, Moscow Garden, and today we are reviewing the Emperor's Cut Cigar. It's called The Natural Pleasure by Emperor's Cut. We're also going to be discussing something kind of hard-hitting. Here we're starting off with Black History Month, so we're going to be talking uh, to start Black History Month off about policing in the black community. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss my perspective. All right, we're going to be smoking on the Emperor's Cut, Natural Pleasure. Um, it's a handcrafted premium cigar made with only the finest Nicaraguan tobacco, crafted using time-tested curation and construction processes. This cigar achieves a singular purpose to complement the lifestyle you enjoy or wish to pursue. It's medium to full-bodied in profile, you are certain to imbibe complex notes of coffee, leather, and aromatic spice. Natural Pleasure offers a predictability and satisfaction, appealing both to novice smokers developing their palate and to the seasoned cigar lover of discriminating taste. The time is now unleashed the lifestyle you always wanted. Emperor's Cut Natural Pleasure, straight off of their website, uh, Empress Cut is a black-owned cigar company. Uh, I have smoked uh, a few different um, sizes. Uh, they got some, a couple different lines that they have out. Um, great people. Uh, one, of, one of which that I encounter on a regular basis is, is Maurice Holland. Uh, he's here in this area a lot. I think he lives across the water from me. Um, but he is just a great guy. So when I encounter him is just having a conversation he's not uh, uh he's not somebody that's stuck up played on himself or something of that nature he's just great people and so i'm happy to purchase a bunch of cigars from him uh when i encounter him at the cigar lounges around here uh he was like hey if you, if you just need a cigar uh if they don't have it at the lounges they sold out give me a call and, and we'll and we'll work something out uh, that's how, how good of a person that he is. He gave me his phone number. So, a wonderful relationship with him. Uh, rather mine on the square. But uh, a great relationship with him. Um, so, uh, that's one of the things that I, you know, I enjoy. But smoking a cigar, they're, they're phenomenal cigars. Um, but once again, black-owned cigar company in the area. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to cut and light this cigar. Trying to get y'all what I'm getting off initially. Uh, remember they talked about those spice, those aromatic spices. So uh, I'm going to tell you when you're smoking this cigar, we, uh, we smoke, we've uh, reviewed cigars. You've had cigars. You talk about the spiciness of cigars. I never really got that uh, off of one of these cigars um, before. And I'm going to be using a V-cut on this cigar. It's the Grand Robusto. And so I'm using a V-cut, using my Calibrate cutter, and using the V-cut, let me toast this foot of this cigar. 
already uh, as soon as I cut it when I got a little cold draw it's uh it's not uh it's not it's not too tight I mean you're talking about a perfect draw I don't have to use my draw opener uh, you'll find a lot of times when you're smoking it's good to have a draw opener if you don't know what a draw opener is if you ever smoke a cigar uh, because a lot of times you get these hand made hand rolled cigars uh you can get a box of 20 and they all just have different um different pulls uh from the cigar that's what you're looking at the draw that's that pull you get on the cigar some of them have some of them are very tight it's because hey sometimes those cigars are double over uh inside of some of those leaves are kind of double over when they're trying to roll them together and now you're, you're trying to suck through that leaf versus having uh kind of that air that goes through it uh, sometimes that and that draw opener is important because you just you know really punching a hole through there to open up the draw so that you're able to smoke that cigar more pleasurable in smoking that cigar versus trying to uh, suck through it when you can't really uh, when you really not really getting any pull right and getting all that resistance uh, just the initial what I like about the natural pleasure and I mean it's in the name as well. Um, you don't it is it is not this does not have a lot of complex flavor when they said it's a Cigar for all palates. It absolutely is so this being their flagship cigar The initial launch they wanted it to appeal to a broader group. I mean, so if you're a regular cigar smoker You can appreciate the uh, the mild notes the what the more medium notes that you're getting out of this cigar It's not extra spicy uh, you can have this cigar as a, in, 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 in the morning, in the evening. So it has a lot of variety with this cigar and allows you to, to kind of pair it differently. Whether you want to pair it with coffee, uh, pair it with uh, your, your alcohol, with beer, uh, of variant flavors. It gives you that, uh, that freedom in this natural pleasure to be able to do that with. Excellent smoke output. Uh, excellent burn right off the top. Yes, yes, I definitely get a little bit of that coffee notes in this. So that when you drink a coffee, to pull that piece out, um, the aromatic spices that you get. Um, it's like I said, it's not spicy, so it's not your peppery spice uh, that you're getting, but more of your. Uh, let me. I know it's more it would be more like something you'll season your food with that's not extra spicy but it just it gives it extra flavoring so that's what you kind of get off of it it's again excellent cigar uh black owned company great people so uh as we move forward in this topic since we got a black owned cigar we'll be moving forward later on uh, and i'll give you more tasty notes on this cigar later on stay tuned all right I'll work my way through this cigar. Um, the thing we're going to talk about today is policing in the black community. Uh, you know, really a lot of stuff coming from my perspective. We're going to use um, just going through one study uh, to get the kind of the intelligence out there, the extra smart pieces uh, that I may overlook. Um, I want to make sure that those pieces are hit kind of different perspectives. I want to ad lib on those things or at least. Uh, you know, when, how, I, how I believe it. I know when I'm in the cigar lounge, a lot of times, this is one of the conversations that come up. 
Uh, most of the guys in the cigar lounge have lived a life. I mean, they're like me. I'm 43 years of age. I've been 43 years on this planet as a black male. Right? I have ex- had my level of experiences with that. And when it comes down to my experiences with law enforcement, I have spent the past 13 years, going on 14 years of that 43, as a law enforcement officer. And so... Uh, and then I, I've, I've done my share of study and I, you know, once again, I got my master's in, uh, I got my master's in public safety and administration, uh, in Homeland security. So uh, with that, I do come, I have come with different uh, levels of thinking when it comes down to it. But since my master's program, I mean, we're talking about the, the highlight of, of issues, um, has been more and more prevalent. Uh, nowadays the cameras are out. And to a lot of police officers, you know, they're up, you know, some of them upset about it. I can't lie. I'm in there arguing a lot of times with officers that are upset at the fact that cameras are out, that they have to wear body cameras, that people are going to Monday morning quarterback the body cameras. And my thought process is, well, if you wouldn't have to worry, I don't have to worry about that because I treat people the way that I would want to be treated. And so if I do that all the time, I don't have any worries on the other end that what I'm doing is something immoral, unethical. I don't worry about the cameras being around. I'm going to conduct myself morally and ethically. Now, all the time, people are not going to like, of course, no one's going to like when you have to tell them to put their hands behind their back and, and, and put these cuffs on, but it doesn't mean I have to disrespect you in the process. But with the cameras being out, um, one of the first instances of this, and, and, and I'm going to break it back to my childhood a little bit, um, was the Rodney King uh, situation, I, you know, the Rodney King beating that that was uh, that was rough for me at you know, in, in back in '91, uh, I think I might have been about I want to do too much math. I think I might have been about 15. No, no, I had to be about 13 or 14. I had graduated '96, so we're talking about '91, five years prior. I had to be about 13 years of age. Uh, I remember at that time uh, asking my parents, when you see this on the news. And the look in their faces was the shock and all of it all. And it was shocking to me. One of the reasons being is because we didn't, I didn't grow up with that type of, of, of feeling. I mean, they had to grow up during the times where if you was going to go vote, the police was going to beat you up, beat you down and things of that nature. However, they said they didn't encounter those same type of uh, criminalistic actions by cops in my little small town. So in my little small town growing up, man, I remember uh, just a great relationship between the police and the community, the black community as well as the white community. I remember you know, me acting up sometimes as a child and the police knowing me by name when I acted up and was ready to call my mother because they had her number uh, readily available. I mean, we didn't have cell phones back then, so of course they got to go find a pay phone, got to go find a phone in the area. They knew where I lived. They had no problem with dropping me off at the house. But it wasn't to criminalize me. They knew my mama was going to handle me. Because they had a relationship with my mother and they had a relationship with me. In my town, you know, it's, it's, it's majority white town. We thought Tappahannock, Virginia, majority white town. And I still grew up uh, where uh, my, my cousin became uh, the sheriff of that town. He was the, the number two in charge, the sheriff. 
uh, uh, kind of died. I think he had a heart. He think he had a heart attack while while uh, jogging while exercising one day, and then um, you know my my cousin took over the job as the sheriff, and then uh, soon after that won the election uh, for sheriff, and until his retirement, like maybe a year ago. So we're talking about a good thirty years. He's been the sheriff of that town. A black sheriff, and they just hired, they just elected another black sheriff uh, in that town that's predominantly white in Tappahannock, Virginia. And that's his county. So the relationship you had to say was a little bit different for me. So now when I'm looking at this Rodney King, you know, beating, I'm like, wow, those cops are completely wrong, right? I saw no difference in that. The judicial system saw something different. The judicial system said that they were justified. And I'm like, in what capacity, what aspect is that justified? Now, fast forward, I, I, I graduate, I leave my country town, I go off and I go to different areas. I go to, I go to college and I go, I go to areas, even when I'm around in college, that the police officers didn't treat me with the same respect that I got treated with in my country town. I didn't, they, they, they didn't, they, they treated me and talked to me as if, as if I was a, 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 a piece of crap. And I didn't know how to take that. I was still a respectable young man at the time and, and still felt all this authority figure. Why? You know, why, why, why was he talking to me that way? Why was he, why, why was he treating me in that fashion? Later on, joining the military, I had some similar accounts with law enforcement. Well, it might not have been acting, you know, completely in the best accord all the time, but it didn't require. And then there's been times when I was just completely just walking, minding my business. It didn't require you to talk to me in that form of fashion, to communicate with me that way. We're going to fast forward a little bit more into my... Now I get out of the army, I, I became a police officer. And I remember here, I moved into my, my, my house that I'm in now, and uh, the neighborhood was brand new built. So we, we didn't have street lights up really, uh, and things like that. So I took it upon myself early on moving in the neighborhood. It probably was only about 10 of us that was in at the time. It was new build. And I remember moving in the neighborhood. I was a cop. Uh, you know, and, you know I, was, I was a cop, and so... Uh, in, in a different jurisdiction, but I was a cop as a university. I was a university police officer. Right? I said, if I go there, when it's time for me, when my GI Bill is up, I could go and get my degree using with, with, at the university, and that's why I want to be a cop there versus a cop for the city uh, of Hampton. So I was working at, uh, as a police at Hampton University. And I remember walking my neighborhood, checking my neighborhood out. Um, we recently uh, had because uh, as soon as I moved here, I got, of course, security systems and things. But I know a couple of my neighbors had their vehicles broken into. And just like everywhere else, uh, in, 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 in everywhere else, you got areas where you got the kids are teenagers. A lot of times is going to go through your neighborhoods, checking door handles. If you leave your door unsecured, uh, they're going to go inside your vehicle, see if they can get any credit cards, wallets, uh, get some money out, uh, watches, uh, jewelry that you may leave in there. They're looking to take items, uh, guns or whatever you leave in there. They're looking to take items out of your vehicle 
um, for themselves. So we had that issue in the neighborhood. So I decided uh, one night, that I, well, not just one, but I did it a lot. Uh, after I walked my dog, you know, I was you know, patrolling the area, I would do maybe another patrol later at night. Plus, it was a way for me to clear my thoughts. You know, cigars, when I'm smoking cigars now, they are a way for me to sit back and clear my thoughts. Well, then I used to walk around. I mean, we're talking about a dark neighborhood. Um, I'm recently coming, I'm recently back from Iraq, so my mind was a little bit all over the place. But so to have uh, times where I could just decompress, walk around in the darkness and think, right? Nothing crazy, it's just walking. All right, it looked like a regular street. I mean, it's a regular street out there, so just walking this regular street. Um, and I remember being stopped by. Uh, the cops and, and the cop that stopped me um, was asking me all type of questions and I told him I lived in the neighborhood and he acted like he didn't believe me uh, then he was uh, then, then the way he was talking to me uh, was just so disrespectful but in but y'all gotta understand I just came from being a warrior <laughs> so my mindset was a little bit different I'm not gonna take the time to explain certain things so um, I told him at the time I was just like uh, I said first of all you need to check your tone when you're talking to me. So, of course, he got defensive by it, and he got that Superman badge on his chest. And, and you know, he was like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, like he's a police officer, right? And his backup came out there, so now it's two of them. And I'm like, I don't give a darn if your backup here. First off, your backup need to know, and if he get out his mouth wrong. And so here we having this, 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 this conversation. So a third backup comes. This third backup recognizes me. Okay, he know I've been a cop now for a few months. He's seen, we've had conversation over there by the university. So he's like, hey, aren't you a police officer at Hampton University? And I'm, and, and, and if you listen to one of my, my, like my first podcast about fitness, I'm a big guy, right? So I know they were kind of afraid, the two officers, because I'm 6'5", 330 at the time, swole. Yeah, this ain't no 330 fat man. We talking about roll up. And so I, I know they were scared. I could see the fear in their eyes. But that fear could have changed different. It could have went different. But I'm not going to sit here and allow you to talk to me a certain way. I believe I should be. I, I'd rather die like a man than live like a coward any day of the week. So uh, here it is. This other cop comes over. He recognized me. So he said, hey, this guy's a cop. And it was like, well, why didn't you announce yourself as a cop? I said, why do I have to? I should not have to identify myself as a cop for you to, uh, to, to talk to me as a man. When you rolled up on me, you knew I was a man. Your conversation should have been that of a man. I understand as a cop, sometimes you see a man walking in the dark, you might need to have a conversation with that individual. So roll up and have a regular conversation. Hey, sir, how you doing? It's a, it's a nice day we're having. Have you seen anything out the ordinary? We've heard about these other... Rash of crimes in there. Just have a conversation. But not talking to me in a belittling fashion. And so I told him then, I said, man. I said, uh, you know, so they, they're now we're coming to the apologies. And I told the guy that knew me, I said, hey, look, man, real talk. Um, I'm not going to call your people. I need y'all to handle this because I don't understand what these people's problem is. Okay? They don't need to be threatened so quickly as seeing seeing a big black man. Oh, no, sir, that's not it. Oh, absolutely it is. All right, they don't need to be threatened to seeing a big black man 
uh, all, you know, and, and, and naturally want to go to their, their defensive measures. I got all this stuff on my Batman belt. I think I can take them. No, I'm still a man. You could have conversated with me as a man in the beginning. And we would have called, we wouldn't have had any problems. Another instance with this police department, my wife one time, and I saw this incident coming. Now, this is when I left Hampton University. I started working in federal law enforcement. My wife was a um, an emergency. Um, she was, an, and that's why I'm going to get a lot of information I'll talk about tonight. My wife was an emergency, pretty much on-call mental health professional. Uh, so when everybody had any crisis, she would be contacted to uh, go to go to the scene to try to to, to calm the situation down. You know, when we talk about a lot of this other police reform stuff that's going on, that's one of the the things. Right. So my wife was contact. You know, that was my wife's job uh, to be contacted in this in that regard when something was to happen on the mental health scale and she would go out there to address the situation a lot of times with law enforcement um so she was on call i was working uh once again federal law enforcement at the time so i figured that they were having we you know we live over uh we live in an area that was uh you know one of those areas that you know they want to have events around right we live near the hampton coliseum and all that stuff so they want to have events in this area so they were having a, a run, a, a, uh, they were having a marathon in the area. And I knew that during the time the marathon kickoff, my wife may have to move in and out. She actually contacted me uh, prior to that, uh, you know, when she left out and said, hey, I'm going out. So I said, my wife has to come back. Uh, so what I did was I contacted the police department. I said, hey, who's the officer in charge, the sergeant or lieutenant that may be in charge of the... Uh, the event that's going on because i know they're gonna be in charge of traffic in the area now where i live you have to go this event actually blocked off off all routes into my home there was only one way into my home at the time and the the marathon blocked off the way into my home so the only way for my wife to get home into our neighborhood was to go through the marathon so I, I called the I called the police department. They got me in touch with the sergeant in charge, and we had a conversation. He said, "I got you. I'll take care of it." I told him her vehicle that she'd be driving and everything. So my wife was coming back that morning. My wife called me. Now I'm at work. My wife calls me crying. The, and, and the officer yelling at her, and I'm listening to this officer yelling at her. I'm furious. I said, "Hold up. Give me a minute." I called on my from my work phone while my wife was on talking to me on my cell. I called the office, the, the, the sergeant who uh, who I talked to earlier. He said, yeah, I told him, I said, my wife is in a white Jeep. There's an officer talking to her so disrespectful. I hear him on this other line and I'm going to come there and we're going to handle this out officer to officer. OK, no other. I don't need no supervisors in charge, but a man talked to my wife like that. I guarantee he won't talk to me that way. And so. Remember, I'm a warrior now. So that's my thoughts, right? I want to. I, I'm a fight it out type person. That way, I shouldn't be all the time. But hey, uh, I've grown a little bit more. But I am like that when it comes down to my wife. Okay. And so he said, "I'm looking right at that jeep now. I'm heading that way." My wife says, "My wife told me while it was going on, I could hear the sergeant yelling at the officer how he rolled up 
said, hey, she's good to go. I talked to her husband. What are you doing? And then got on the, got on the officer. Right? I still wasn't completely satisfied, but the adult in me said there's no need to go on to throw hands with this guy. Somebody checked his ignorance at the door. And so we have those situations where law enforcement have found ways to escalate situations. A lot of the training that law enforcement go through is to de-escalate situations, supposedly. Right? They're supposed to handle business quickly. When, I, uh, when I'm at law enforcement officer, I'm putting hands on, a, on an individual. It's to handle the business quickly, get you down quickly, get you handcuffed, because before you cause a problem to me or yourself or others, right? I don't want you uh, to, to, to go for your gun. I don't want you to go for something. I don't want you to, to, to endanger other people. Uh, I don't want you to endanger myself or other officers. Uh, and, and then if I hurry up and get you to the ground and, and, and get you handcuffed, get you in the back of my car, you're not going to become a danger to yourself and, and others either, uh, which is my problem with the George Floyd thing because there's no need to continuously have your weight on, the, on, on that person's neck. There is nothing that police officers are taught in any of their teachings that says that. Once I have you on the ground, once I have you handcuffed, my goal is to get you up off the ground. If you're fighting, you could fight, flail on the ground all you want. There was nothing, he, there's no way he could have been a danger or a threat to the officers besides the color of his skin. So, this is what you're taught. Now, a lot of times, there is a lot of tactical training in law enforcement. Right? The, the tactical training uh, is there a lot of times because of that mass shooting incidents and they're getting greater and greater nowadays but because you had those type of incidents that take place our police officers had to become more tactically sound they couldn't just wait on SWAT to come in and so they had to be more tactically sound and so there has been a, a big push for tactical training to hurry up and eliminate the threat before you know they're in that mall killing more innocent people before they're in that, that, that university killing more innocent people before they're in that church killing more innocent people, right? That was the, that's the, that was the goal of the intent behind that aggressive level of training. But there are incidents. There are times, there are calls that require law enforcement to take a more subtle approach. And if you don't have it in you as a person, a lot of the training that law enforcement get don't get you there. So I mentioned earlier, my wife was a um, was a on call uh, emergency response uh, counselor for the community service board. Now her on call emergency response, her timeline to get there uh, was in one hour, really for the most part, right? Then by the time she had to call, she had to about one hour to respond. Uh, if it, if, especially if it was, and because she had to cover not just uh, the local immediate region, we're talking about all of Hampton Roads. And so um, when she did that, they said an hour, most some of which was a 35 to 40 minute drive. So she had an hour to an hour and a half to respond depending on the area. All right, we're not talking about rapid response here. So when we, when we are talking about police reform and, and allocating more resources, maybe we can have when an incident takes place to have more of a mental health professional available, they're just not always that quickly available. That, 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 they don't have the ability to be quickly available. They're not riding the streets 
uh, and be ready to be to be called and be there within five minutes like law enforcement officers. So what's the bridge with that? Right. How do we uh, now get to that point? Right. I'm going to talk about some more solution sets, but we're just kind of getting some history behind it. I think on the next break, we'll talk about more solution of what I see with some of the problems. So this, this Harvard study, this Harvard study um, talked a lot about a few different things here. So what they talked about was how uh, policing is rooted in slavery. Racial disparities in policing and police violence are sustained by systemic exclusion and discrimination. So, uh, that, that's very interesting, right? And, and, and then this, this study found that exposure to deadly force is highest in the Mountain West Pacific regions relative to the Mid-Atlantic and Northeastern states, and that racial disparities in relation to deadly force are even greater than the national numbers imply. In the country as a whole, you're about two to three times more likely to face deadly force as a minority than as a white man. So to me, when you look at a lot of stuff, and I, I've, I've had the conversation, so we, you, you've had conversations, and you got FBI that put out a report about um, black-on-black -black crimes. No, no, I'm go back. I'm not gonna talk about it. You know, black on black crimes are one thing. They talk about white. They don't really mention white on white crimes, but those happen, All right? But so when when you look at it, when they talk about a report as far as law enforcement killings of blacks, I was having a conversation with a coworker that said, "Well, there are more the cops kill more whites than blacks." So that argument that you're making is not true. I said, "Slow down." You're trying to uh, appeal to a specific narrative here, and that's let's talk about it per, by per capita, based on the percentage of po by population. Law enforcement kill blacks at a higher percentage than they do whites. Of course, the silence come in. The, the he didn't understand that. I said no, because you want to take the time to listen to a political argument about law enforcement and blacks. I'm telling you about the truth, right? About what happens, right? These, the numbers don't lie. The numbers can be, uh, uh, can, can, can be uh, changed a little bit, right? So if you, if you view the numbers a different way, I can view the fact that, oh, well, there's more whites that get killed by whites. Not when you look at percentage base point, right? So why is that? And so, when, when we're looking at that, there's a, there's a bigger, greater thing. We're going to talk about a few things uh, uh, throughout these next segments this month. I'm going to try to really dig in a little bit, at least my piece on those. But you, you have a system that we talk about the law enforcement system started back from slavery time. And I know the new thing in the news, how you know some of these black politicians want to talk about, especially here in Virginia, but Winsome Sears says that, well, well 
Let's black people need to leave need need to need, need to let go of this slavery thing. Stop using that as the argument for everything. Um, guess what, Winsome Sears? It is the argument. The reason being is because after slavery, it was not an automatic inclusion into society. Just because slavery or you know you abolished slavery, you didn't allow uh, for blacks to be a part of this the societal system. I mean, we're talking about this only uh, uh, sixty years. 70 years since we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, the right to, to vote. Or maybe 50 years for the right to vote. And then that was always something going on there. You're talking about the right to have business ownership, uh, uh, home ownership. Uh, you're talking about redlining. You're talking about, uh, um, you know, putting down my home price values. Uh, which also you got the education system. We can go on and on about these areas that have that blacks have been funneled into. That you keep them trapped inside these areas with limited resources. Yes, I do believe it doesn't take the, the law enforcement to go into these communities to police these communities up. I really do uh, wish that we had you know, you know more men that were in those communities, right? More people that was going to police up their communities, that those young people in those communities had more respect for their elders in those communities, that if those elders did speak up and did come out on the street and tell them something, that they would absolutely make those changes. We need to police our own community up. We don't need all of law enforcement to come down there always to police our communities up. But when crimes happen, we do need to get, we do need it to get handled in the same form and fashion that you'd handle it if it was a white man. And I had an argument with someone not too long ago. And they, uh, uh, this was only a couple weeks ago. And the conversation was about uh, law enforcement with blacks. And I said, well, this, is, this is my piece when it comes down to, uh, it was especially right after, what is the boy's name? Uh, the, the the boy that killed those people for the, the, the during the riot, uh, doing doing those uh, uh, doing those uh, uh, protests and things of that nature, a uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, something like that, whatever the boy name is. So, Rittenhouse, and I and here I'm, I'm in Virginia, and I look at Deshaun Wright. And so here, uh, we say, well, they said, well, well, police saw a gun in Deshaun Wright's hands, and. And thus, and they heard gunshots in the area, so thus they were justified in their in, in their killing of this black man because they they saw the gun in his hand, they heard gunshots in the area, and they were justified. I said, but here I am looking at law enforcement walk right past Kyle Rittenhouse, who has an automatic weapon in his hand, or an AR in his hand. You heard gunshots in the area, but you walk by him like he's not a threat. Maybe it's just me. I look at studies, and when I see uh, that a, a, a white male with a, a rifle in his hands, I see mass. I see mass killer. But for some reason, those officers did not see mass killer, hoping that his mass killing would kill those who they care nothing about. I go back to when I grew up. The officers cared. The officers cared about the people. They cared about the the you know, the, the people around the community. That would have been an absolute last resort from them because they automatically cared about you. you. They would have to make sure that it was a definite stop for you taking another person's life or theirs.
before they take yours. Because they've cared about you. They cared about you since you were you're young. They saw they remember you when you was a kid in school when they used to go visit the school system. On that note, one of the best trainings that I went to when talking about uh, mental health and law enforcement and how we deal with people with mental health was the school resource officer course. You know, my current capacity on a federal installation, uh, on a military installation as a federal police officer, I'm a the community police officer. So I went to the uh, school resource officer course, and I thought it was the most progressive course involving uh, personal relationships with law and law enforcement that I've ever seen. Because those school resource officers are not there to to make criminals of every child that does a, does something wrong, that commits you know minor infractions, that does stupid childish stuff. No, they're there to make sure that child can receive a, a proper education. That was the same mindset I took when I took the job at Hampton University. I told students at Hampton University, and I had great relationship with students, with all type of students at Hampton University. Uh, but when I was at Hampton University, they said, man, you know, you, you treat us so well. Like, it's different from some of the cops that we've encountered in our cities and our, as we were growing up. I wish we could encounter more cops like you. What made you think like you think? I said, one, I treat people the way they want to be treated. But the, the, the other part of it is I have to understand my mission. Uh, at Hampton University, my mission was to facilitate learning. That was my mission. I said, y'all's got, y'all, y'all, all of y'all are here. Y'all are young. Y'all going to make some mistakes. And y'all ain't making half of the mistakes that I made and got second, third, fourth, fifth chances on because I've had uh, a great opportunities at the time. I didn't encounter someone that wanted to criminalize all of my activities, but wanted to educate me and move me in a, in, a, in a different direction. I've had times where I got arrested for assaults, and because it was a military-friendly community, I had another opportunity. They would take me back to my unit. They would call my staff duty to come pick me up from the police station, and, they, you know, and, and then I would have to deal with my command, who was going to make my life a living hell for a little bit, but it's going to teach me a lesson in the long run, until I got it, until I, and, and, until I stopped doing dumb stuff, until I stopped acting like a child and, and thinking like a child and doing like a child. I wanna, you know, when I was stopping all those actions, so many opportunities was given because I wore a military uniform. But it shouldn't be just about the uniform. Because you breathe, because you pump blood in your, you know, through your veins, you should be allowed opportunities for minor infractions. It's be a chance, a way for you to change and, and, and develop and do better. That's, that's what law enforcement uh, should be when it comes down to those minor infractions. And we are at a point that, yes, we now looked at the Rodney King beating all the way till now, we see all the, uh, the, the, the George Floyd situation. You know, you look at different instances that have been taking place that's been uh, filmed that you see how police actions are different. Not just police action, but judicial actions. We've 
I mean, they've, they're now highlighting, you know, one great thing about social media is that, and, and, and with these, especially with these, these phones that allow you to have a camera at a moment's notice, is that people are highlighting these things that, these Rodney King things, a lot more than someone having to have a big camcorder in their hand was actually filming something across the street. Normal instances, talking to my uh, father-in-law out there in California, and he grew up in Watts, that he didn't like cops. Because cops, was, you know, that Rodney King was his was his regular thinking when it comes down to police. That was just highlighted at that time, and people thought it was just a one-off, but it was a system. And they turned around and said they were justified for that. How can they be justified for that? When I put the uniform on, uh, it's my goal, it's my mission to make sure that people see me practice law enforcement the way it's supposed to be practiced. That I'm going to treat them with respect. I've had people that I put handcuffs on, had to bring them back to my station, and I've done it with respect, and they gave me respect on the other end. I saw them later on, and they said, you know what, I was wrong. I'm so glad that it was you that handled me and not someone else. Even when I said I was going to fight you, you you came, you, you still came with me because I, I, you know, I wasn't threatened. But still, you gave me a chance. I had to get, I had to catch my punishment. I had to catch what was, 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 I had to catch this work. But you gave me a chance and you at least treated me with respect throughout the process. So, now what? We talk about uh, reform. I'm not going to hold this on too long, but uh, real quick when it comes down to reform, one of the things people said they need mental health professionals to go out on these calls. My wife doing the mental health professional call, and I'm telling you, they just don't have the numbers. And if you talk about reallocating funds to put funds into those areas, that all of a sudden they're going to have more numbers. It's just not that many jobs out there, people that would want to do that job. Uh, it was very dangerous for my wife to do that job. She wanted the law enforcement to be on scene. What I'm saying is that training needs to happen together. That, 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 that community service board, those mental health professionals, if they had certain certifications that they could put together, uh, certain training that we can get officers through, where the officers can know how to de-escalate situations when dealing with people with mental health uh, issues, people de- dealing with people with, uh, that's on the, auti- uh, 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 on the autism spectrum. They're dealing with people, because you know, it's not just kids, Right, and I thought that, like I said, the school resource course does a great job of it. It, it could be greater, but it, it does a great job. It was the first one that actually highlighted this. But it's not just in children that you have mental health. These children become mental health uh, adults. And with this unchecked in their younger ages, it's going gonna, it's gonna to heighten later. And so when people are going through episodes, even if they're functioning people on a regular basis, people, you know, people can have whatever traumas in life that cause them to, 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 to be more aggressive later on during certain situations, that cause them to be a certain way. You need to be able to recognize that and de-escalate that situation. Talk to those people in the right format. You know, police have long, for, for, for years, just thought that naturally I'm just going to be able to talk to people. If you're a good communicator, yes. Not everybody's a great communicator. So we need to teach them to be better communicators. At least to calm the situation down 
until a mental health professional could come. That hour, hour and a half response until a mental health professional could come. Mental health professionals riding around. I wouldn't want my wife riding around and be on a, a call within five minutes. Because if that situation, when she's been in situations before where you know, it was a mental health situation, but it turned physical. And she was in a bad way because the way that they teach mental health professionals to defend themselves causes them to, to, to if, they're, if they're being attacked, to, be, to, to, to just take a whooping. And I had to go take my wife to a hospital and she's giving me excuses for somebody that's an adult that's, on, that's, that's autistic that's he attacked a bunch of people in this, in, in, in this facility. And there's nothing she could do besides get hit by this individual and ball up and take it. You know, should they get some of the training? Their, their training for self-defense is nowhere near the law enforcement training. Should they get that level of law enforcement training? Should they be able to take, uh, to, to learn takedown, learn strike techniques, to learn all this stuff? No. You know, they just learn to try to you know, deflect and, and, and push off and deflect. There's a lot more that you need to do sometimes. You have to protect yourself. And if they did go that extra level because they took some additional training on their own, would the job back them up? So there has to be a, a balance. There has to be a balance here when it's all said and done, right? Law enforcement officers uh, need to, one, um, be trained up in mental health. You know, have a few officers that's readily available that works your shift, you know, just like we did with SWAT officers. And instead of having all the SWAT, just only one SWAT team and waiting for the SWAT call out, you know, that, you know they, they're, they're, they're working patrols. They're, you know, they're out on the streets. Every officer is taught to, to be able to, uh, to tactfully uh, maneuver into a situation. Those same officers now should be able to be taught to move in those situations and in in, in, a ment, you know, in in a mental health capacity and be able to de-escalate that situation in that regard. That should be the new focus of all the training. Still keep your tactical because we still have people that want to go in uh, uh, movie theaters and shoot it up, right? You still got to be tactical. You can't lose the tactics all, the, all together. You got to be able to respond. You got to have enough officers on the street to be able to respond to that incident as well as the domestic abuse as well as you know, all the other stuff, right? We got to be able to handle those situations. We got to have enough officers on the street to handle that. But training those officers in the same time. Maybe get some incentives for mental health professionals to go to police academy and become officers. Now you're working as an officer, but I know you're, you're trained. You're also certified and trained and licensed as a mental health professional. I'm paying you a bonus to be both. Your primary on your, your your primary on the shift for all these different calls. Those are the main calls I want you to re, to be able to respond to quickly. I want to have enough of you working here so that I can have that, and then we you know, then we can work. Then we'll be able to have people that are on the street ready to go. Have all of the tools in case the situation gets out of hand, but also has the training and expertise to be able to handle that situation right there. We have a judicial system, and we talk about that uh, that one article. Uh, well, let's talk about this. There are uh, this article also mentions that there are roughly eighteen thousand police departments in the country, and more than three thousand sheriff's offices. 
each with its own approaches to training and selection. They behave in very different ways and what, what they're finding in all in, in, in the research is that they are very different in the degree to which they use deadly force. Once again, found that out through my, growing, through, through my upbringing. So the real problem with policing in, in America is the fact that there is simply too much of it. And they base this They base this off the idea. Um, they said we've seen since the mid 1970s a dramatic increase in expenditures that are associated with the expanding, uh, with expanding the criminal legal system, including personnel and the tasks we ask police to do. So we have here. They're also talking about black and, brown, black and brown people are incarcerated at much higher rates than white people. America has approximately 2.3 million people in federal, state, and local prisons and jails, according to a 2020 report from the nonprofit, the Prison Policy Initiative. According to the 2018 report from the Sentencing Project, black men are 5.9 times as likely to be incarcerated as white men and Hispanic men are 3.1 times uh, more likely. We've seen uh, reports coming up, and I talked about social media a little bit earlier, but people have gotten on social media and have found some of these judges and looked at some of the cases that they brought forth and how they're sentencing of black men in similar situations as white men. How they had greater sentencing for blacks than they had for whites that are similar. Some of which, you know, you, you can line them up. They're exactly the same. No previous crime, this age, uh, you know, they, they, they did exactly this crime and you have turned around and changed sentencing. So when you hear people talk about minimum sentencing, what about the maximum? I, I'm not just talking about minimum sentencing guidelines, maybe exact sentencing guidelines for certain, for certain situations, right? Regardless, it doesn't allow for the judge to give more leniency to one race versus another to, to provide a level of discrimination because a judge is a human being. It's like those cops are human, right? Those, you know, those human beings believe a certain thing about a person, they're going to they're, they're use that in that, in, that, in that regard. I'm saying have, maybe have, you know, you do larceny you know, to this caliber, this amount is this. Yes, they, they take some other things into account at times if you're a, a, a repeat offender, but those things can be written in. Right, the what ifs can be written in to this policy. Therefore, you have uh, sentencing programs, and then and on top of that, let's say you do your time. All right, I've done my crime. I do my time. Why should that follow you so much? Now that you can't get employment, you can't make it. This is supposed to be re- reform systems. You're supposed to be able to go to this correctional for systems, correct the deficiencies that I made. Correct me. They don't even have where these people can get their certifications on the inside anymore. I should be able to go in on the inside and get my certifications in the electrical work. If I'm locked up in jail for a year, I should be able to take that time in that year and, and, and have electrical programs uh, to, get my, to, to get my certifications in. Teach me a, a craft. Teach me a trade. Help me find employment on the back end. Don't just kick me out and release me to the wolves. I have no way of making money. I'm just going to go out there and just do whatever it takes later on because I have no way of survival. 
once again, having limited resources. We need to find those different systems that create criminals. That make people have to think about doing something different in life and provide opportunities and resources to show them other options. To find employment, to get, to certi- to, to get certification, to get education, to go to military, to do whatever, to not to do whatever it takes not to become to, to become a a a, 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 a a criminal on a continuous basis. Those are the type of programs we need to look into. We need to invest in. If that takes defunding the police, or I don't say defunding, if that takes reallocating some funds from the law enforcement. If we're reallocating, hey, the guns you had are perfectly fine. You don't need new guns. Reallocate some funds that you was going to use to buy the upgraded new uh, uh, equipment. Those guns work perfectly fine, you got. Let's hope we don't have to use those. We don't need new guns. We don't need, uh, uh, we don't need you to have a tank right now. You know, we don't need you to have this. We, don't, we might not need you to have that. Let's reallocate some of those funds. We need you to be able to solve crimes, yes. We want to give you the tools to solve crimes, but we may not need you to have some of those other uh, tools that are tactical or more tactical in nature. You still got enough tools or good enough equipment right now to handle tactical situations when they come. Let me look at how we're, how we're allocating funds in the city, not just with law enforcement funds, but funds throughout the city, throughout your community. See where we need to put more funds in. How do we need to make the to 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 make the, the, the system, the education system fair? To make some of these systems fair. Maybe we need to look into that. That's what your city leaders should be doing. Not worrying about punchlines like defund the police. It's a punchline. It's a sound bite. Sound bite used by one party or sound bite used by another party. But let's put some actionable things in place. Let's hold some police officers accountable. I'm a police officer. I believe I, you know, I, you know, in, our, in my department, you're, you're held to a high standard. You know, we're, we're, we're military-based. We're, you know, you're held to a high standard. I believe you should be held to a high standard as a law enforcement officer. You're supposed to be above reproach. You walk around here with a uniform on, with a gun, representing your jurisdiction. I feel the same way I felt as a, as a, as a military member. I'm representing this country. When I'm abroad, when I'm out, when I'm wearing that uniform, I'm supposed to be held to a high standard. And so those law enforcement officers, you got the ability to take someone's life. Take that same ability and give life. Give an opportunity. That's what we need to figure out. That's what we need to come together on. Stop trying to go back and forth about these things. That's what we need to come together on. This month about to end, and we got people that want to talk about uh, loving the police and, and not, not defunding the police and all this other stuff, but yet you still want to back the actions of the, uh, of, the, of the people of January 6th. I don't understand the hypocrisy of it all who attack my fellow federal law enforcement officers who are just trying to do their job.
They wasn't trying to do anything crazy, but yet, you know, they didn't get the backup and support from uh, uh, from from those leaders above them. Like was so enough out there when when Black Lives Matter just had a peaceful protest across from the across from the Capitol, across from the White House, a peaceful protest, and y'all had all type of National Guard out there. So the ability, the, the thought process now that we still are in the, that we're still in that people view black and brown people as so much of a threat. They refuse to view those who are, who are uh, more known for. Uh, 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 serial killers, more known for mass shootings, more known for mass murders. They refuse to look at those same individuals as a threat. But you're going to look at black and brown people who, because they just want their rights. They just want to be viewed as a human being. They just want the same equal treatment. Not a better treatment. Equal treatment. As a law enforcement officer, I have no problem with Black Lives Matter. Somebody asked me once, do I have a problem with Black Lives Matter as a law enforcement officer? Hell no. I think there's a great need. I think the, the, the coin, the terminology, the idea behind Black Lives Matter is important. Well, they don't, don't all lives matter? What about blue lives should matter? Come on, man. Black lives, they're not saying that no other life matters. They're just saying, hey, our house is on fire right now. So if you're sitting in your community, in your house, and your house is on fire, and the fire truck come down your street, and your neighbor whose house is not on fire, nowhere near the fire, says, hey, what about my house? You know, Why are you putting, why are you putting water on their house? Because their house is on fire. That's all they're saying. Our house is on fire. We need to get, we need to get some type of resolution. We need to get some type of fix to find out why this house is continuously being on fire. We need to put this fire out and make sure that we rebuild that house up stronger. Put resources to make sure that this house is like every other house in the neighborhood. Everybody's house is not on fire. This house continuously is on fire. That's where the resources, that's how you need to allocate resources. That's how you need to think about this. And hopefully, we can come up with a better, with, with, with a better uh, law enforcement system, a better judicial system. Like I said, the law enforcement officers in my little country town were the first example of law enforcement to me. That is, when I put my uniform on, those are the law enforcement officers I strive to be. That's as county sheriff deputies, I strive to be like those guys. That's who I knew growing up. Those are the guys that have such a great relationship with, with my family, no matter what their race is. Man, those are the guys who I, that's what policing is supposed to be about. And when stuff happened, they went and handled business. They called you by your name. I've watched them come into uh, situations, and there's always way more people there than the cops that show up. And they always only had a couple cops on the street, and we're talking about to stretch out to a whole county. That one cop could come in there and de-escalate the situation because they had a relationship with everybody there. You'd be darned if you was going to talk to that cop that way after that cop had already treated grandma right. And you think that, uh, that, 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 that your uncle going to allow that to happen? No, your uncle going to police you up while that cop right there. That's a community. The police need to be a part of this community. The community need to, they need to let the police into the community if they want to be there. 
and allow a system, an opportunity for everybody to come together. And hey, thank y'all very much for listening to the podcast today. Start of Black History Month. We'll see how these topics will go. See um, how much I, uh, I continue to learn and push through this and get my thoughts out. Um, but uh, in, in closing about uh, this topic, man, it has to be a way moving forward. As law enforcement, um, yes, the need is there to get better mental health training, certification, in my opinion, right? It's, you know, it's, you know, yes, people love to have more mental health professionals uh, there, but if they're unable to be there because of you know their numbers, because of the situation, then we should get as much training as we can with the community service board, so that we're all on the same page. If we can get the, those those uh, the same training that they get uh, about dealing with people with mental health issues. Uh, then there has to be a look at you know those, some of these issues that has led us to the point where we're at now. I mean, the government has put a lot of barriers in place for blacks, uh, to for African Americans, for blacks, as you want to call, um, to to uh, they put a lot of barriers in place to stop uh, blacks from being a part of society. We talk about now even with voting rights and all this other stuff, making people not trust the government, not want to be a part of the government, which have allowed, which have caused situations where there's a lack of resources, and people who lack resources are going to do whatever it takes to get those resources. And that's including committing crime. So if we can find a way as a government, as a people, to come together, we need to, yes, there needs to be a fix in law enforcement. They need to give, to me, there should not be any, uh, any, uh, 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 what is it called? Uh, I don't, we we don't get it at my department, Um, but a police officer should be held accountable. Right, qualified immunity. Right, there should be no qualified immunity. You do wrong, you get you 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 get punished. You go out there and murder somebody and use your position of authority in a in a in a manner that is not in line with the police department's uh, thought process. If your and if your police department thinks that some of that stuff is okay, then maybe the police department needs to change from the top down. But in a lot of these cases, no, you should not have qualified immunity. You took on this responsibility. We gave you a gun in your hand. We gave you the proper training on how to use that gun in, 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 in the right way. And if you turn around and still use it in the wrong way, you should be held accountable. Every time. You shouldn't have a system that allows you to, to, to work like that. And then a system that allows officers that are within those systems to, because soon as one officer speaks up, that, that person is looked at negatively. If your system, if there's a system that allows that, your system is wrong. I've never been a part of one of those departments, thankfully. Because I got way too much of an attitude, way too much of an of opinionated thought process in my life. I, I'm not, I, I, fear, I, I fear no man, so why would I fear you, other officers that I work with? I'm going to conduct my business right. I don't need to be your friend. If you don't, if, if you don't like me for doing things the right way, then what the heck do I want to be around you for? I don't need... I don't need your opinion. I've never been that guy. I don't need your approval of, of me. I, I, I know that I've done things right. And if you're not right, I definitely don't want your approval. So luckily, I haven't been a part of those departments. I've been a part of some good departments that 
have held us accountable when we did wrong. That really pushed us going out and be more community oriented and community focused police officers. Find ways to de-escalate situations uh, in the military, getting commands involved. But as when I was at Hampton University, we're not here to take the kids' education. They're going to make mistakes. And it was a system that said, look, man, those kids are going to make mistakes. We're just here to stop them from making bigger mistakes as, whenever we can and see if we could go in and correct that, that deficiency. We were there communicating with the, with, the, with, the, with the student body because these are the future of this, con- of this country. So uh, we had a great relationship with them. Now, looking forward, when we talk about law enforcement reform and doing all this stuff, we're talking about mental health cases, defunding the police. A lot of people know, do I believe in defunding? I believe in making sure the funds are allocated properly throughout, that they make sense. If that requires taking funds here and there, what, what, how do we reallocate funds? How, how, do, how do we reallocate our law enforcement presence? I do believe that the fix, though, is not in those who, you're not always going to capture all of those. I think an adult, an adult, in my opinion, doesn't make a change until there's a, until they feel like they need to change. You can't make somebody into whatever they don't want to be. I do believe you have a better influence on the youth. So I do believe that a lot of the programs that should be in place right now should be geared to the youth, especially those in high school levels that's going to become young adults. Eventually, if we start gearing these programs, the, the, the amount of crime, that's the amount of those individuals getting into criminal activity, not uh, understanding the resources that they have and, 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 and taking advantage of the resources and you know, changing their perspective and their outcomes, I guarantee, I got a feeling, I can't really guarantee it, right? I'm not going to probably be around long enough to see all of it, but I can, I can imagine a better future if we start there. We give them opportunities. We give them resources. We show them other ways. Show them ways that they can get away from the situations that they've been put into generationally because they've been generationally behind. Because of past missteps by our government that put people in those generational uh, uh, situations. And now we need to make steps to put them, to make sure that they they don't have to become a victim of their circumstances. That they can be, they, they can do more, they can be more, they, they can accomplish more in life. We provide those resources, provide those opportunities. My goal is that I come to work every day and other law enforcement officers, I remember a time frame, I talked to a lot of law enforcement officers, they said, man, I spent 20 some years and never pulled my gun out of a holster. You got officers nowadays that, that can't say they went uh, 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 20 months without doing the same. Something has to change. Something has to give. I need to go back to the time frame where police officers, hey, man, my gun has been in my holster for 20 some years, never came out of my holster except for me to clear it and clean it and go to the range. Because I have a great relationship with my community. If I'm in a community that's predominantly black or brown, they know who I am. I know who they are. I know who those kids are. Those kids have better opportunities that they're not going to be in the same situations as their their parents. They're not going to be in the same situations as their grandparents. They're going to be in a better situation. That's what we need. Real reform. 
real look at all of our systems, our law enforcement system, our judicial system, every system from slavery time frame that has placed blacks in the situation that they are in. That have placed these blacks and browns and minority communities in the situation that they're in. Look at those uh, those issues that took place, the impact that they had, and now we're trying. Now the goal is to try to reverse that impact, make them an equal part of this society. Thank y'all for listening. As I close up about this cigar, uh, I'm at the final third of the cigar. So. Um, with this cigar, there was not a, um, really there was not a, a major change in this cigar. It actually kept, uh, it's same power, it's same smoke. A lot of times you get more, uh, cigars that's more stronger in the beginning, mellow out, kind of get stronger at the end. Um, and that's a lot of times dealing with your spicier cigars, right? You notice more spice in the beginning and the end kind of mellows out. Uh, this cigar, actually, from Empress Cut, has truly um, maintained uh, its smoking throughout. Uh, and, and you're just tasting uh, pure tobacco, right? I mean, I'm not catching the extra spice. I mean, all of it is pure tobacco, even when you got the spicier ones. But just a smooth tobacco flavor. Uh, just the natural tobacco flavor. Um, medium body throughout uh, good taste but I can see how it could be appealing to even the novice I think that it could uh, it's more of an everyday smoke uh, and at any moment smoke uh, you could do you can make changes in this cigar based off the changes of the stuff that you drink and and, 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 and eat and things like that so uh, it's just one of those cigars that uh, can be a go-to at any occasion at any moment So with this last third, I'm going to enjoy it, sit back and enjoy that uh, without running my mouth as much. And thank y'all for listening. Y'all have yourselves a blessed one. Peace.